The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Worship team probably want to plug that back in when you guys come up. (laughs) Romans is a courtroom drama. And in this courtroom drama, we heard the opening statement last week. And the opening statement comes from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jews and Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. That's the opening statement. In that opening statement, there's three parts of what Paul's doing in the book of Romans. First of all, The opening statement is the gospel, this good news, tells us there is a person. His name is Jesus. You need to get to know him. But there's also, the second part of the gospel is there is a problem. And the problem is the person that looks back at you in the mirror every morning. The problem is not the evil people out there or the world out there. The problem is you and me. Our sin and rebellion have created a mess here on the planet. It's been going on out here for thousands of years but there's, the good news is there's a solution. There's a solution, and the solution is it's not you. It's this person, Jesus Christ. So Paul makes this opening statement here, and now he gets to the first part of his case like a lawyer in a courtroom where he's presenting the charges and the indictment of what's going on. And what Grant just read for us, it says they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious. It's like we're just clueless morons sometimes. Like it's, got, like, it's right there, dude. How could you miss this? Is what God's going there. If you're newer to our church here, uh, we kind of will be a little more blunt like that once in a while. Um, but uh, they know that he's made it obvious to them. He says, through everything God made, they can clearly see that there's a God. He said, the problem is we suppress the truth by their wickedness. So God's indictment against us, we're going to write, call this functional atheism. Now, there's intellectual atheism. That's people that don't believe there's a God and they think it through scientifically or whatever. There is no God and they have all the reasons why. That's intellectual atheism. I can summarize intellectual atheism for you. and it, it sounds a little silly, but here's what an intellectual atheism is. If I summarize it is, uh, is this. Um, nothing plus no one equals everything. That's the summary. And that's not, that's not to make fun of that. Like there was nothing and then out of nowhere something started And no one was there, but it all just equals everything that we see today. But that's not the problem that Paul says that we have. Our problem is not, he says, we suppress the truth not by our intellect, our intelligence. We suppress the truth by our wickedness. We live as functional atheists. We can say we believe there's a God, but when you live like there's not a God, in practice, you're an atheist. He says the human race does this over And over and over again, we suppress the truth by our wickedness. And God's response to that, it says there uh, at the beginning of verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against sinful, wicked people who are suppressing the truth by wickedness. Here's the the deal. God's response is wrath. In our Bible, the New Living Translation will say anger. Some of your Bibles, like the ESV, NIV, other ones, the translation is the wrath of God. And you guys know there's like anger, right? 
and then there's wrath. There's a difference, right? And, and here's the deal. I, I don't know how to describe it for you other than tell you that you know it when you see it. Like I can make my wife angry. There's probably twice in our marriage I've, I've had experienced the wrath. It says God's, God's wrath. And this is not just God's upset or kind of bummed out because we keep messing things up and it's a bad thing. God is, is righteously angry with us. I heard a guy say it this way. There is holy revulsion against us and our sin. And some people say, well, doesn't God love us? He loves us. But you know what? That's crazy. Because he doesn't love you because you're awesome. You're a revolting mess. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, a famous pastor a couple hundred years ago, said it this way. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he's righteously angry about us. And the tricky part about that is we don't tend to always like that, that, that this wrath of God. The truth is, guys, we want a God like this. We need a God like this. Because a God that will look at the, 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 the stuff going on in the world and just kind of go, eh, well, you know what? I'm just kind of a little upset. You kind of bummed me out today. I'll go to a coffee and be fine. No, God is righteously angry about it. It's been crazy this week. Uh, I've had a, a couple opportunities being a pastor sometimes and shoot, being a, forget about being a pastor, being a human being. There's times you get a front row seat to the consequences of sin and rebellion. And you've experienced that, right? There's been times you have had the wrath of Dennis, the wrath of Karen, the wrath of Faith. The, there's things where it's just, it's so, because you see what it does to those people, and then you see this idea that we think our sin is, well, it's just my sin. What's the big deal? I just got to be true to me and think, well, what business is it yours what I do? I'm only affecting myself, which is the big lie. You always impact somebody else with your sin. There's always ripple effects, and most of the time, innocent people suffer because of the things that you and I do in rebellion against God when we suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's a song, uh, Chester Bennington, Lincoln Park, the band. Uh, great, they write great theology. Now, all their, some of their songs are naughty and nasty. So don't go home and just download all their stuff. Be selective. But they have a great song, has some great theology, and it says this. You're guilty all the same, too sick to be ashamed. You want to point your finger, but there's no one else to blame. You're guilty all the same. And God's telling us the reason you're guilty is this is not complicated. I'm not like the Easter bunny that went out and hid the clues of myself over underneath a, a thing over here with a secret code. You had to, it's not like an escape room where like, if you can get all the clues lined right up and you can figure out, then maybe, boom, you'll get it all figured out. He goes, no, it's obvious. He says, and he says, we're without excuse. This is the idea of God going, how could you miss me? I'm obvious everywhere. And, and Paul says here, it's by the things that God has made. Psalm 19, keep something here in Romans. Go back to Psalm 19. He echoes what David writes about when he says it this way. Psalm 19 says it this way. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Paul also echoes this over, like he says it here in Romans, and then a book called Colossians. So if you go back to Romans and flip to the right, past Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he's going to tell us it's not just the big, massive planets and stars and sky and all that. It's even the smallest, simple things where we see the glory of God and the fact that there is a God and some things we know about him. One of the things that Paul says here in Romans, as you're turning here to Colossians, in Romans he says we know some things about God, and not just there's a God, his eternal power and divine nature. Saying that he's divine means he exists outside of the natural world that we live in. Now, he's omnipresent, but God's not showing up here. He lives outside of that system, exists outside of that. And the fact that he's eternal means he exists outside of time. That at one point, this will blow your mind, there was no such thing as time. There was no click, click, click. God just was there. And God speaks and time begins for us. God is eternal, goes outside of time, goes outside of the material, natural world. In Colossians 1.15, he says it this way. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's eternal and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, and get this, and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, the unseen world, and I'm not writing the Bible, but I went in there, and also atoms, molecules, cells. We'll get to some of that here in a bit. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. This is this idea that God didn't just go bang and go, okay, let's just see what happens here. He has done some things here to make sure when he spoke it into existence that it's still here all these years later. That's how we know there's a God because of the complexity of the universe. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews also echoes this thought. Hebrews 1 verse 3, he says it this way. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. That means he didn't just go bang, he sustains it. He's keeping it in order, keeping it structured all these Many, many, many years later, he says, we can see God, we can know things about him by the things that he has created. And in the courtroom, the other side would go, where's the evidence for that? Oh, your Bible can say it all at once. Show me. Glad you asked. We've got some, def- we have some exhibits we're going to bring out now. And, and today, uh, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In the West, we are really good at loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Today, we're going to learn to love God with our minds. So for both of you that paid attention in science class, you're going to love this. The rest of you need to kind of strap in and just think here for a bit with me as we trot out some evidence from creation that demonstrates the fact that there is a God that is eternal and he's powerful and exists outside of time and space. Uh, uh, all kinds of scientists have written about this for years. A guy named Francis Collins wrote one uh, called The Language of God. It's written more not in big scientific terms, but in more kind of how ordinary people talk. He says, we have this very small conclusion that the universe had a definite beginning. Now, for years and years and years, people just thought the world was just kind of there. It's like this, the cycles of the world just kind of went on and on and on and on. And then science comes along. Not Christians... Oh, they might have been Christians, but they weren't doing Bible stuff. They were to go look at the universe. 
we see things out there, and at one point, God spoke, and there was a big bang. People sometimes think the big bang theory was like evolutionary science, and that's the way to explain No, no. You know who came up with the big bang? It was theists, theologians, Christians that said, we can see there was a point in time from science now that there was nothing there, and God spoke, and it went bang. Stephen Hawking's. Stephen Hawking is a famous guy, probably one of the top 10 brightest guys on the planet. says it this way. It'll be up here on the screen. It says this. If the rate of expansion uh, one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in 100,000 million millionths, you know what that means? That's like such a small, small degree of change. The universe would have recollapsed before it ever reached its present size into a hot fireball. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. You know what he's telling us there is? God spoke, it went bang, and he kept the thing working together. It didn't just kind of and go everywhere. It would be very difficult, he says, to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way, except that the act of a God who intended to create beings just like us. And we know from science, the next exhibit comes out, about our particular little <laughs> cul-de-sac that we live in here in the universe, that the, the sun and the earth, it's well known in scientific circles that our earth is just the right size. Our, our earth is exactly where it needs to be in terms of how far it is away from the sun. We know that by looking at the planets on both sides of us. Uh, it also is clear that the sun that we revolve around, it's one of the, gosh, the trillions of trillions of stars in the universe. It's the perfect sun for us to revolve around. All that and more. There's all these uh, elements and all that kind of stuff has many what they call rare and lucky features if there's just a natural world. Uh, the scientists have also said, astrophysicists, not Christians necessarily, People just doing science say it this way. Tell us that there, was, there were around 122 variables that would have had to be lined up in precise values in order for our universe to come into existence. And if any of those was off by even one part in a million millionth, matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, no stars, no planets, and no people. So do the, do the thing with me. Imagine up here on the screen right now, there's, there's 122 dials up there. And they are, every time you click it, that's a million. That's a million. And between that, so there's a million little notches on that dial. A million little notches, notches on that dial. You click that dial, and in between each of those million, notch, those million notches, they are separate by millions in between each notch. You said if that thing is tuned into there, so if that moved not to one more million, but to one millionth of a millionth, nothing exists here. That's the big stuff. On the smaller level, uh, what I love about this is you can look at the stars in the universe and just go, oh, that's awesome and amazing and see all that. When you start looking at it too and you get down to like the micro level, to just simple building blocks of life. There's up on the screen here, that's water molecule. The scientists tell us there's no good reason water should exist as liquid except that somebody's caused something, did something to embed that in here some way. Carbon. Carbon is, uh, there's chains of carbon. These are things that help form organic compounds, and they're unbreakable. 
which means that's one of the building blocks of life. Guys, carbon and hydrogen are two of the leading elements in our system. For those of you who paid attention in chemistry and science, you're going, about time somebody told people to church that. And then hydrogen. Hydrogen forms all kinds of bonds, but hydrogen doesn't form unbreakable bonds. Hydrogen has the ability to go bond over here and then break that bond and bond over here. And it creates bridgeable bonds between all kinds of elements. Uh, if that doesn't exist, life as we know it would not exist at all. And then look at this picture up here. I found this this week. Somebody sent it to me. You know what that is right there? That's a cell. I don't know how big a cell is. You can't see it with your eyes. And that's a human cell. Look at the complexity of that. All those things that are going on in there. And we're not going to take the time to do it today because I... It, my brain couldn't get around it today. All that stuff intricately interacting with it, you have 30 trillion of those in your body. And all those things are working together and not collapsing and going crazy and all that. You go, how is that possible if that was just random, like it just kind of went, Phew. it's impossible, that kind of complexity to be there. DNA, here's a picture of DNA up here. Uh, DNA contains like the, the coding for heredity, where things get passed down uh, the reason your kids look like you is because of DNA. There is so much information in DNA strands. The DNA code produces a, a product far more sophisticated than massive, massive supercomputers. We can't even get our minds around it. Uh, scientists are convinced that cells containing such a complex code and such intricate chemistry could never have come into being by just pure, undirected, random chemistry. It's impossible. Not Christians saying this. These are scientists just studying it. We don't see anything else out there like this. This next thing up here is enzymes. This is the last big exhibit. For those of you whose brains are kind of going, oh, right now. This is enzymes. There are about 2,000 enzymes. And the chance of obtaining them all in a random trial is only one part in, in 10 to the 40,000th power. An outrageously small probability that could not be faced even if the whole universe consisted of organic soup. The enormous information content of even the simplest living systems cannot, in our view, be generated by what are often called natural processes. And here's the quote here. It'll be up on the screen. For life to have originated on the earth, it would be necessary that quite explicit instruction should have been provided for its assembly. And guys, we have, that's like, what, four, five, six things here? Guys, I'm telling you, there is way more. I got piles of stuff back here. And those of you that are engineers and physicists and chemists and all, they go, oh, guys, let me just tell you, there's way more than that. This is the simplest ones. Now, whenever you have a, a court case like this and one side brings out the evidence, what does the other side get to do? Cross-examine it, right? So they're gonna, we're going to do some cross-examination here today and then give this side over here a chance to give, like, the rebuttal. So here's the explanations uh, and, and rejection of this idea there had to be a God to do it. One of the uh, objections, and it's not going to come up on the screen, you can write it down if you want, is the idea that it was a coincidence. That just time, infinite time, if this place existed forever, there was no God, you don't need a God for this. If over time, given enough time, we have seen enough, like in our world, right, you see some things like, dang, that was a weird coincidence. How could that have happened? Okay, there's some coincidences, things that happen. But here's the crazy part about it. Imagine now you're playing poker. Spread all the cards out in the, on, the, on the thing out there. You're playing poker with everybody, and uh, they're all spread out in the deck, and you spread them all out there. 
And you get up there and you go, get in here and you pick out five cards. Royal flush on the first draw. That's weird. Imagine, imagine if you go to Pachanga or Palo or wherever you guys go to do that stuff or back, and you do it again and bam, royal flush again. You spread them all out again, you be, boom, royal flush again. What would you think after a while? Somebody's cheating, right? Somebody is doing something to make this happen. This is not just pure coincidence. Uh, you would think somebody is doing something, and what they're telling us in science is what is happening in our universe is that since the universe began to exist, we have been drawing a royal flush every single time over and over and over again. That would say that somebody is doing something to make this happen. Another one of the examples is uh, the idea of infinite space. Uh, populist atheists, good guys, you could hear, read their books and hear them talk and go, dang, he almost convinced me to become an atheist. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, they're, they're smart guys and they're interesting and compelling. Um, probably nice guys too, I don't know. Um, one of them, I think one of them just died a few years ago. But um, one of the common things in the scientific world when it comes to stuff like this is that if you imagine that there not, might not just be just our universe, what if there's trillions and trillions of universes and we just happen to be in the one where, boom, this all just happened? Given the possible infinite time, infinite space, and now almost like infinite universes, may, maybe this happened like that. And that, guys, that might be true. Let's just say, for example, let's just grant, okay, maybe that's true. The tricky part about that is, is you're no longer doing science when you say that. You're in, engaging in speculation about something you can't see, which we, what they would call religion or spirituality. What happens here is that uh, atheistic science, and we say that we're not saying these are bad, terrible people. Athe There's all kinds of atheists that are better Christians than some of you. So this is not about, this is not about these are bad, terrible, evil people. They have real problems with things. They're wrestling with it and all like that. But what will tend to happen in atheistic science is this. They use this, this scalpel of skepticism against God and theology and the scriptures, but will not use that same scallop of, scallop, that same uh, scalpel of skepticism on even their own belief. Um, it's faith, not science, when, when you say that it, what might be out there possibly that we've never seen any evidence for. And then there's this idea uh, of infinite time and infinite energy. It's the idea that given enough stuff like that, these complex things over, you give it enough time, look what could have happened. Faith, oh, sitting over here. I'm not going to point her out, but she's sitting right there. <laughs> uh, is on her phone way too much. There's one time she broke her phone or lost her phone and she was freaking out. And you know what Apple did? They sent her a new phone, but here's how they sent it. They sent a box of all the parts. And they told her, here's what you have to do. You have to assemble those parts together. And the instructions were this. Take it outside and just keep throwing it up in the air over and over again. And eventually you'll get a phone. You go, that's dumb. Of course they didn't do that. Only androids. Never mind. <laughs> oh, fun. Oh, androids rule, I know. Shut up. <laughs> Another, let me just show you this example over here.
My Star Wars nerds out there, what's this called? Yeah, thank you. I don't know, but <laughs> this has about 1,600 pieces in it. The guy that put this together told us about this. 1,600 pieces uh, put together there. Now, if you saw this sitting here on stage today, what would you just assume had happened? Somebody took some time to build it, and somebody built it. But what if you say, but all these Legos here? Enough time, enough energy, over and over again, time and energy might mean But you, of course it doesn't work. But what if you said, okay, time and energy, and there's lots of time and lots of stuff. So it just keeps going and going and going and going. See, guys, here's the deal. With infinite time and energy, you don't get more order, you get less. You could say, well, anything's possible. Those are souvenirs today. If it hit you in the head, I'm sorry. Uh, there's a lawyer here who can uh, talk to you about that. <laughs> but over and over again, to say that you give this stuff enough time that it would order itself up, the truth is infinite time and space doesn't give you more order. It gives you less. It tends, to more, tends towards more randomness. Yeah, I know. Huh? I'm going to... Here's the truth, guys. If you don't want to believe, nothing's going to make you believe. If you really don't want, and here's the problem. Paul tells us we suppress the truth by our wickedness because if there's a God, that means I have to do what he says. And we are rebels at heart, and we don't like anybody telling us what to, to do what, what he says. I don't care who he is. I want to do sexuality my way. I want to do money my way. I want to do relate. I want to do everything my way. I don't want a God to be accountable to. And the problem is not that the evidence isn't there. It's that we overlook the signposts and the clues because we really would rather believe something else. We'd really order our life after our own self. Uh, a leading uh, thinker on this, uh, not a Christian, he's an atheistic scientist, and again, probably a good guy, I don't know him, but had this great quote here to be on the screen. It says this, It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a purely material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced there by our assumptions. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. What they're saying here is we don't want a God. We cannot have a God. We will not even be open to the existence of a God, either intellectually or even more pragmatically. And Paul's going to tell us God's indictment on us is like, look, I have left plenty of evidence out there for you to see that there is a God to whom you should submit your life to, whom you should worship and serve. And instead of doing that, you reject it. Come back next week. We're going to talk about one of the key things that we do. When we reject the, God, the one true God, we're going to find a God somewhere out there. We're going to find the gods and goddesses, the idols of our culture. A, a guy, uh, John Calvin, said it this way, our, our hearts are idol-making factories. Come back next week and we talk about some of that, how we will find a God or goddess somewhere out there. Uh, and, and the clear thing on this, guys, too, is we need to watch out, though, here, not just for intellectual atheism, 
Because that's not most of your problem. Most of you don't be sitting in church today if you're an intellectual atheist. Like, go play golf. There's more, there's more exciting things to do if you don't believe in this stuff. I get that. Now, maybe somebody drug you here, hoping we convince you. Maybe God's doing some things in your heart right now. So keep coming back as we explore some of these tough questions. But I'm telling you today, we need to not watch out for intellectual atheism. We need to watch out for what I call the CA syndrome, Christian atheism. People who, yeah, we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We sing the songs. We do all the right stuff. Do our lives line up with it at all? And we're going to sing a great song today. Called, it's called So Will I. And in that song, it, it tells us this, that our response to the fact that there's a God should be worship and obedience. When we look at God, when we look at the universe, when we look at that cell, the 30 trillion cells in your body, and look at that and go, look at that. Look what God did there. What he creates with us? It's like, dang. Wow, that's worship. Like, Look at what God did. This is crazy amazing. And so we worship God. And some of that worship is by worshiping with our minds. But today we're going to worship God with our, our emotions and our, and our voices today too. We're going to sing that. God, we're going to worship you because we're blown away by you. But it's not just worship. It's also obedience. It says, in the song it says, if creation sings your praises, so will I. And if creation obeys your will, so will I. That's our response. That's what our response should be. The band's going to come up right now. We're we'll going to give you guys a chance to respond to some of this. We're going to sing these songs to Jesus, about Jesus, awesome and amazing as we reflect on how good and great our God is. We're also going to give you a chance to come to tables of communion. There's four uh, tables here in the house in the corners of the room. It's got bread and juice, and it symbolizes the fact that this infinite creator God at some point spoke himself into our, into our world and, and didn't show up as like this ooh, superhero from another place. He showed up with flesh and blood. And he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live in, in our place. And then he died the death that you and I should have died because of our sin and rebellion and took that. And so, guys, as we worship God today, the best display of the glory of God is not the images from the Hubble telescope or the Webb telescope or the super things, what we do is you look at Jesus and go, whoa, and wow. And that's why every week we want to give you a chance to come to tables of communion to remember how amazing it is that our God spoke himself into our world because he loves us. Despite the fact <laughs> that we are clueless we don't get him. We reject him over and over again that he speaks himself into our world to save us. That's coming later on here in this great court case of Romans. And then you may be here today too with stuff going on in your life. Health stuff, relationship stuff, just stuff. Don't just sit there and suck it up. You know, sucking it up just sucks. You can't do it for long. Talk to somebody about that. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today, back back there in that back corner back there. If you've got stuff going on in your life and you need someone to talk to God about that with you, they're not going to give you advice and counsel. They're simply just going to go talk to God with you on your behalf or whatever that is that's that challenging thing that's going on in your life. So God, we come to you today. You spoke the earth with a breath 
God, we love you today. God, if all creation serves you, so will we. God, if all creation worships you, so will we. God, if all creation obeys you, so will we. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.